Welcome everyone, I'm Heather Welch from EDX Education and today we'll be in conversation with Dana Alkine. Dana is an expat mum living in the sandpit or should I say the bustling city of Dubai. An early years teacher, education leader, play advocate and has completed her Masters in Education. Dana has had her research published on play-based behaviours of children where she looked at play and play-based learning in a social cultural perspective. Today we are chatting with Dana on homeschooling, play-based learning, her entrepreneurial ideas, early years, and her Instagram account, Born Curious, and journey into becoming an education leader. Welcome, Dana. Can I ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners today and how you became passionate about play and an early years leader? Thank you so much for having me, Heather. It's a pleasure to be here today to talk to you a little bit about my journey into play-based learning and to speak about the evolving face of education in Dubai and around the world, really. Um, so I was an EYFS teacher for five years and a curriculum lead for two. But prior to becoming a mom, I worked as a radiation therapist in Canada for a year without any clue about play-based learning, Reggio Emilia philosophies, Montessori, or even child development for that matter. Then I moved to Dubai and I had a child of my own and suddenly I was drawn into her world of play and learning. And I was set on this trajectory of learning all about how to meet her needs and support her learning. So I got my certification as an early years teacher and became even more drawn into child-led play approaches and play-based learning. And so I decided to pursue a master's in education and later published a paper on the play-based behaviors of Emirati children, where I looked at play and play-based learning within a socio-cultural perspective. Oh, wow. So you've actually had a paper published on, actually on culture, the culture of the Emirati children on play-based learning. Yes, so that one um, was a paper that was really dear to me because um, working um, in Dubai or moving from Canada to Dubai, I noticed a lot of disparity. Even though I wasn't into play-based learning back when I was in Canada, I just noticed a lot of differences um, here compared to back when I was in Canada. And um, not to say that one is right. They're different. Okay. Yeah, they're different. They are, they are very different. Um, and I just want to inquire as to... Um, I just want to inquire to see if play um, had a cultural perspective or if culture can influence the way that children play. Oh, I'd be really interested in the findings of that, actually. Can you sum it up really quickly? Yes. Yeah, so um, uh, we found that um, about 52% of Emirati children rarely or never engaged in undirected play. And that um, while Emirati mothers were aware of the significance of play, they were less aware of child-led play practices. So then I wanted to look at how can we encourage um, undirected play? Um, how can we educate Emirati mothers about um, scaffolding children's play? And how do we implement that within nurseries in Dubai? Oh, wow, that sounds amazing. Sounds like a really interesting. Don, I have to ask, do you actually speak Arabic? Oh, yes, I do. I was going to say, because that is one of the most important things, is to be able to have that culture. Because I lived in um, the UAE for many years with my family, and that was always, we needed to have the extra. I, I found it was easier when I, was, when I had an Arabic speaker with me, to be honest, when it came to... Um, dealing with uh, Emirati schools or ADEC or MOE and any of those? Yes, uh, for sure. 
Um, listen, I'm going to ask you about your, now I love your ideas. I think I know you never know where you're living in the world. If you looked at your um, Instagram account, Born Curious. I mean, it just looks like you could be in Canada with all the outdoor, you could be in the UK, you could be in the US. You hardly know that you're going to be in the middle of summer in Dubai, to be honest. So how do you stay inspired to do all these amazing posts and these amazing ideas? Uh, thank you so much. This is honestly a question I get asked a lot. Because um, let's be honest, as mothers, we have so many other duties that sometimes making time to create these play opportunities um, falls off our to-do list. Um, but I find that being in a position to see my kids learning through play on a daily basis um, makes me happy and motivates me. Um, when I see my children engaged in play or learning um, or really excited over a new setup, um, I'm satisfied. And that usually gives me inspiration to keep going. Um, I'm also really big on professional growth um, and personal development. It's really important to me. So I take this as an opportunity to keep learning um, through things like reading and browsing, brainstorming. I mean, tutorials have become my best friend. There's, so <laughs> there, there's really so much to gain from what's out there on YouTube, Pinterest, Instagram. So um, just cultivating uh, a reading culture. Um, it's something that's always been important to me and something that I can continue to do um, while supporting my children's needs. Um, I also reflect daily um, and I do this with my four-year-olds and I mean I try with my two-year-old. So with my four-year-olds it's asking her about what she likes and doesn't like. Um, it keeps us both accountable for our time spent together and then we can plan for the next day. So I find when I sit down to have a chat with her and she gives me these ideas for things she wants to do tomorrow, it kind of inspires me to keep going and, and keep arranging these setups for her. Um, with my two-year-old, he can't really uh, form elaborate sentences, but by offering him choices, so I can say things like, hmm, did you like playing with the cars today or the water table? And then hearing what he says, so I kind of take note for what to do for the next day. And so it just gets the ball rolling, really. Oh, that sounds amazing. Um, I'm very impressed that you've gone from, was it radiotherapy, radio, radiologist, to um, when you've had children, so the change, I suppose it's the complete changing career, and you've gone and got a master's and published papers in, actually, it's quite a short time. I know it's a few years, but this feels like quite a short time. How long have you been in the UAE? Uh, so this is coming up on my sixth year, um, and it does, I, I feel like from the moment I, I became a mother, um, Everything that I used to do is just, I was just spun around, you know, um, and I was sent on this trajectory of, uh, of going down this field. Um, and I love it. It's, it's very different from what I used to do. I used to be very, um, in radiation therapy, you work a lot with numbers, um, cancer patients, um, a lot of the older population. And then now I've gone to working with the little ones. Um, and there's not very many numbers and calculations and that. But, um, <laughs> It's, it's equally as fun and as rewarding, um, and, and I love it, you know. Now you're making the little ones smile every day. That's what's the yeah. most important thing as well. Listen, as an early years teacher, and or as an expat mum, I suppose, and you've been living in Dubai, how's your experience been during what we called lockdown in the UK with home learning with your little ones? I mean, if I look at your account, I'd say it's been amazing, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I think we have to be honest as well. This is definitely not the year anyone, I think, had planned for themselves. 
Um, and uh, during the lockdown in March, as teachers, we kind of watched as every other profession went into a standstill really, while ours was pushed into overdrive. Um, many things were put into pause until the return of normal, but learning, I mean, that went through an overhaul. Um, it was pushed online and the traditional structures of schools, like uh, bells, periods, lunch times, school clubs, I mean, that was all revamped. So as an early years teacher um, at the time, I went from greeting my children with hugs and high fives in the morning um, to speaking to them through a monitor in a matter of a few days. Um, there was no transition period, but we persevered through it and we made it work. Um, connecting with two to four-year-olds digitally has its challenges. I mean, um, <laughs> especially when your relationship was built off playing together and interacting within close proximities, you know, um, it, was, it was very hard. But one good thing that came out of it was how much emphasis was then put on the needs of the children rather than the demands of everyday, like timetables and um, classroom management, uh, rotas, things like that. Also, I found that my kids began being more independent with regards to their learning. Um, they took more charge. Uh, they kept track of when we had online sessions. Um, they would tell me that they were practicing skills long after our sessions were over. And then they also shared what they learned with their families a lot more than when we were in class. So um, that was from a teacher perspective. Um, so the biggest challenge as a teacher and then a homeschooling mom was learning how to juggle this full-time job of homeschooling my little one with meetings and responsibilities and online sessions of my own. Um, now that things have settled, I'm still worried how I'm gonna respond to all these needs, but I think I've learned a lot since the initial lockdown and I'm comforted knowing that I'll always try to meet my daughter's needs above all else, really. Sounds like you had a lot of positives, actually, in general. It sounds like you, you went in with the right perspective. Because we found, I found that a lot of in, so I homeschooled my two for seven months. They've been seven months and working as well. So we've had, and they're nine and two. So they're very different in age and their needs are very different. As you know, with a two-year-old boy, little boy. So it's definitely been a juggle. But with my nine-year-old, they've become good friends. And he's been very helpful with my two-year-old. So that he then now plays and teaches him certain things of what he's doing, which is interesting as well. But I know it's been different in the UAE, as nurseries have only just been allowed to open, is that correct, since Feb? Yeah, so um, they're allowed to open. Um, I think in the earliest opening date we have so far is about beginning of October. So oh, wow. um, it's a rough date, but it's something, you know, to look forward to. That's, that's really exciting. So will your little boy go back as well? He'll go back in... October? Yeah. yeah, so when the nursery opens, yeah, we've made the decision to, to send him back when, whenever that might be. Oh, let's just hope there's no masks. My two-year-old likes to wear it for about two minutes and that's, you know, it's very hard at that age. So in the UK, what they've done with early years is um, they've said no masks for early years because it's just too hard and they've put them in quite large bubbles. So we still have to see what's going to happen. But I know that many parents and teachers were concerned about returning to their education environments. You know, how has your child's nursery been with, I mean, your, your, your children returning or even the school? Um, so I think nursery reopening or schools reopening um, doesn't necessarily mean a return back to the way it was before. Um, and so 
every school or nursery has taken immense measures as regulated by the MOE, like our regulatory bodies and the health and prevention bodies that we have here. And um, they're doing so many things, um, obviously, to curb the spread, like limiting number of children in class sizes, mandatory staff testing every two weeks, implementing, wow. yeah, implementing meticulous hand hygiene regimens, having all teachers um, and supporting staff in visors and masks. So um, you talked about in the UK not having to wear masks for the younger ones. So um, in the nursery, we will be doing uh, masks and visors as well uh, for the time being. I don't know if things will change. Um, but yeah, I mean, in nurseries, we've always followed robust um, infection control practices. So we've just basically built on that. Um, you've talked about bubbles. So we've created bubbles as well of children. Um, and we've gotten rid of a lot of things like water dispensers, the catering service, afternoon clubs, um, outside um, supports as well that come into the nurseries and schools. We've also educated parents and staff about the importance of hand washing and social distancing, staggered lunch breaks. I mean, um, go, going back to school will look a lot different, but um, it, it's one step closer to a return of normalcy to children. So that's something that we're looking forward to. Yeah, and I think the children are really happy to be back with their friends. They don't mind in what capacity at this stage. I know that with mine, definitely here. But I mean, school readiness or getting your little ones, because they have been home with you for a long time. So what skills do you believe are most important for children to be ready for school? Or as they say, as we said, school readiness? Yeah, so um, culturally, I think we've become uh, increasingly focused on achievements of functional skills in the early years. So we focus things on like pre-literacy and numeracy um, to define what a school-ready child um, looks like. But um, honestly, I would define a school-ready child as one who's physically healthy, well-rested, well-fed, and is able to communicate their needs and wants verbally. Um, I would also throw in as curious and enthusiastic about new activities and can even regulate or begin to regulate um, uh, you know, their emotions and has a little bit of interpersonal skills. Um, and I think quality um, preschools or childcare centers in the UAE already support the development of these skills um, by incorporating teachings of like healthy eating, effects on the body, communication, language, um, and even by implementing child-led uh, play practices. Um, so yeah, I, I, I would, um, say that uh, school readiness, uh, it's not just any one skill. I mean, it's an, it's an array of things, um, but I would also throw in there um, a child's age. So while it's not a skill, um, I think it's a marker of school readiness as it directly links to their maturity and their cognitive, social, and self-regulatory domains. Um, and there are so many studies that also show that children who um, are older upon transitioning into kindergarten fare better within school later on. Oh, that's really interesting. We have, um, have you ever seen, there's a lady that runs called Dr. Cindy Hovington and she runs Curious Neurons and she always talks about play instead of um, play lit uh, literacy and numeracy. So children need the social emotional connections to be ready for school. So she always looks at it in a different way. So she talks about how play creates these, most of these neurons that create paths for children to be ready for school rather than everyone knowing their one, two, three or ABCs. 
So if you ever have a chance, have a listen to her podcast. It is definitely one to have. If you like um, research and doing a lot of that, that's Dr. Cindy Hobbington. She'd be definitely be right what you'd be looking at. So oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I love her um, I, and I've read a couple of her posts as well. And um, I think what she says is just brilliant and really spot on. That's really, that's good. The other thing, um, Donna, tips for parents and teachers to help children prepare to go back to early years settings or even education environments. Because I know what you're saying is you're a trained professional. You know how to handle the situations, trying to get children back. And also you might not have found it as stressful as other parents that had maybe, you know, multiple ages, not the same skill level when it comes to home learning and working in a highly stressful job. So, you know, many children have been away from nursery for five, six, seven months. What do you think the challenges many schools will have with children coming back? Yeah, so um, I think there, there are two faces to this. So one would be the challenges that the teachers would face in welcoming the children back, and also then the challenges that the parents um, would, would face. So I think the biggest hurdle for teachers um, welcoming the children back, so as a teacher myself, I mean, I, I would be going through um, dealing with the stress of this crisis, um, but while trying to be as positive um, as possible for the children. So despite living with COVID, I'll, um, as teachers, we have to create a supportive and nurturing environment and respond positively to questions that children might have or um, the different ways that they express their feelings. So for very young children, that could be with dealing with more tantrums or behavior that's often labeled as negative as a result to what's going on. Um, so as teachers, we'll have to be supportive and reassure children that it's absolutely normal to feel frustrated or anxious over the current situation. I mean, it's something they have no control over but are very much affected by. Um, as teachers, we've always been advocates for children. So I think this will be called upon more than ever. Um, I think also um, teachers will also be worrying about how to settle children in after such a long pause. Um, and then how to do so with so many new changes as well. Um, and as teachers, we'll just have to work um, even harder to foster a close relationship with parents and keep that partnership up because um, we know how uh, crucial parent involvement is within the early years. But with face-to-face -face interactions and note exchanges not possible, um, as teachers, we'll have to use other means of communication, um, such as sending children updates or work digitally and trying to stay connected through virtual meetings. Um, from parents, I think it'll just be for them having to, to reassure them or for them to be reassured that we are taking all the precautions necessary and we are doing the best that we can within the current situation. Um, but I mean, it comes down to what they're comfortable with and what they're comfortable um, accepting if they they want to send their child back or if they think, you know, this is not the year, I want to hold on to my child, um, keep them at home for a little bit longer. Um, I think every family will have to just see or do what's best for them, really. Donna, have you found it within the Exmat and the local community in the UAE that um, what are the common hurdles that they're talking about? Are they worried about more? Are they worried about their lost academic learning? Are they not worried about the fact that um, the potential that the 
they may get COVID or they might, what are they actually worried about? Or they're more that their child, their, maybe the behaviour's regressed. And also you've got another factor in the UAE is the fact that it is so hot during the peak hours of the day. So you're probably inside more in the peak during the day than and having early mornings out and being outdoors. So I suppose what are the main concerns that from the communities about going back to school? Yeah, so absolutely. All the things that you mentioned is, um, I mean, how do you keep children indoors um, for that long as well? And, um, you know, how do you risk going out and, and um, you know, possibly getting um, COVID? So these are all things that we've talked about, but we've mainly really been focusing about not expecting things um, to go back to the way that they used to be and rather just trying to embrace the new way of how things are. Um, and so for a lot of expat families, that's meant accepting um, blended learning models that are now um, being deployed or full distance learning. And while we can agree that accepting these changes for anyone can be hard, I think when you consider the challenges that expat communities in the UAE have to deal with in particular, such as not only navigating this crisis um, without their family network or support systems, but also without alternative care for their children, it really puts into perspective their struggle. Because um, while nurseries are, while schools have closed, while schools have opened, um, nurseries are still closed. And so expats are trying to find alternate care um, without being able to rely on family or friends. And it's really taxing, especially when they have younger ones that are of school age um, and others that aren't. So, um, and I think just the uncertainty of the current situation, um, it really takes a mental toll. Um, so we've also really talked about the importance of seeking help. So just, not just for ourselves, but for our children as well, and um, being advocates for them and being in tune to any changes to their behavior and attitudes. So children have been back to school for about a week now. Um, so we've talked a little bit about monitoring them um, and just picking up on any clues that they might be giving us that they're dealing with a lot of anxiety. Especially returning. Well, I suppose it depends on how, with um, the UAE, I mean, are the, are there are many options, there are a few options for alternate learning for little ones, but it would be nannies and stuff like that. And they're not necessarily always early years trained or able to teach in a way that you probably would like them to teach, depending on the nanny or the help that you do have at in this current time. So yeah. that would also be quite, you know, a big thing for people over in the UAE. Because I know when we were when we lived over there for many years, we had a nanny for my youngest one while I was working. However, I wouldn't have put the pressure on her to be able to homeschool at the same rate as what I would have done or to even, you know, you'd have set up some activities, but it would have been a very different interaction because it depends on culturally how they've been brought up too. Probably similar to what your paper, I'll have to have to read it this actually, your published paper was about the, what was it, directed play with Emirati children? What was it? The yeah, the, the play-based behaviours of Emirati children. So just looking at play as a, as a, in a cultural perspective. Yeah, and I think if you probably just say if you had a nanny from either the Philippines or from Africa or from, there are a lot of key areas that could be Vietnam, could be anywhere like that, they would have been brought up in a different way to play. So, and you always sort of revert back a little to what you were, what you know. 
you know, depending on the education that you have had. So look, if, you th if we're looking at home learning in the future, as you were saying, it's, it's really, it's blended learning is what you're looking at there. Do you have any tips for parents that actually struggle with early years? Because it's not everyone that does such an amazing job as you do, but can you give a few tips? Uh, yeah, so um, I think preschools, they rely heavily, heavily on an openness um, to free play, but within a meaningful environment. So by having purposely set up provocations or what we call invitations to play. So this is when resources are left out in a meaningful way to encourage children to come over and interact with them. And then also within the classroom, early childhood educators, um, they act as facilitators who just build on children's natural curiosities. So if in the event um, preschools were to close again, um, I think it's very important that these core principles remain even at home and are replicated by parents like as best as they can. So um, I think child-centered learning, it can't just ha happen by having a child sit passively in front of a screen for a meeting or a session with an early years teacher. But I think a little more work um, from us has to go into it. So I'm, this is what I would recommend, um, is let your child guide you and follow their interests. Um, provide meaningful alternatives to screen time. So um, I think in the last decade, we've been saying um, limit screen times and we've been advocating for parents to reduce or eliminate screen time for toddlers in particular. But then this pandemic hits and then we begin offering nursery children e-learning options and resorting to using screens, albeit not by choice. Um, but honestly speaking, I think it's um, inappropriate to expect that their learning will be entirely screen-based. Um, so when, whenever possible, opt for, for screen-free learning alternatives. So what this might look like is instead of watching videos um, about dinosaurs, is learn about them together. You could um, build Play-Doh or clay uh, volcanoes. You can set up a small world dinosaur, um, replicate their habitats, discuss what they eat and incorporate that. Um, so whenever possible, um, resort to hands-on learning opportunities. I think during the early years, it's very important that they have the chance to experience their learning um, rather than just hear about it. Um, and then I think, always ask yourself, is this developmentally appropriate? So I would recommend looking into the Development Matters document and evaluating what is age and stage appropriate for a child. Because sometimes we have these expectations which drive our frustrations, but they're not really fair to have. So um, just knowing um, what's appropriate um, will help guide um, your interaction with the children. And then lastly, just by being kind to ourselves. I mean, uh, what worked before may not work now. And that's okay. We're currently in unprecedented times, you know, so if a child is uninterested or uncooperative during the day or during a play, I mean, take it as a success because um, I think you're just that much closer to finding something that does actually work. So it's a back and forth process really. And um, that's what I would recommend. Now, I think that a lot of people are going to look at your Instagram and say, wow, she does an amazing job. How does she think it is? But what are the things that you could recommend to have as an everyday prompts? Like, would it be a sensory bin? Would it be sand? Would it be water? Would it be loose parts? What are the things that you find you can engage with both multiple ages and something that you would recommend? Uh, yeah, so um, 
I think for us, what works is our open-ended resources. So these are things like Legos, um, our small world animals, and of course our sensory bins. Um, because with these three, really, I, I can cover so many learning objectives. With Legos, we can build letters, we can build numbers, we can count them, we can sort them, um, we can match colors. Uh, with small world animals, we get an understanding of the world. We can build miniature world sets. We can talk about what different animals eat, why they eat that way, why they look the way they do. Um, and then with our sensory, we get a lot of obviously sensory play and the motor skills, which is very important. Um, so those I think would be the three that I would say um, for us really work. Um, and I would recommend them for sure. Fantastic. Now, Dan, I think you've probably covered this, but just to have a reflect, what are the top lessons that you've learned, not only as, you know, an education expert, but also as a mum about lockdown and schools, nurseries closing that you could share with other parents and teachers? Yeah, so the, I think the top lesson I think we've all learned from the closure of schools um, over the last six months is that um, learning doesn't just happen in special learning places called schools. I mean, um, it, it happens in the yard, it happens at home, it happens in those intangible moments between lunchtime and afternoon walks. Um, children learn from anything and everything they see and interact with. Um, they learn wherever they are in their everyday life. So make the most of these moments, I think is what I took from it. And that it doesn't make, it doesn't take much to nurture a child's creativity or imagination. I mean, all it takes is for us to be present um, mentally and physically. Um, I really like that, Dana. I'm just going to say it's so true. You know, learning is a lifelong skill. Even today, while I'm talking to you, I've learned a lot. Of, I've learned a lot. And actually, I didn't know that only 50% um, knew about undirected play and things like that in Emirati. And I lived there for five years and I was in the education industry. So do you know what I mean? Lots of things. We're always learning. It definitely is a lifelong skill. And I think a lot of people are going to want to contact you or they're going to want to know more about, for example, how to read your paper or even just they might want a little bit of advice. Can you let our listeners today know how to get in touch with you if they want advice? Do you do consulting or if they want some fun ideas? Yeah, of course. Um, I think the best way um, is through the Instagram um, account there. Um, they can always contact me. I'm always within reach. Um, I also have um, a blog uh, up as well about ways that you can promote independent play, um, simple play ideas you can try at home, uh, nurturing innate curiosity, um, what else, supporting children's ability to read emotions from behind masks, so things like that. Um, Fantastic, thank you so much Dana, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today and I'm really interested, as I said, I'm gonna go and read about your paper that was published and I think you're doing an amazing job and I know that you're actually currently really busy even though you've got one child back but you're doing you is it you're redeveloping a curriculum in a nursery you know sorry an early years setting as well at the moment yeah so um I work as a curriculum lead so we're we're in the process of, of kind of honing in on on the curriculum and what we want to implement you know post-covid and what kind of skills we want to focus on now um, and yeah, my daughter, she goes to school, but I have my little one still with me at home. Well, fantastic. I look forward to seeing some great um, setups and some invitations to play and small world play on your Instagram, but please keep in touch. And we look, for, we look forward to hearing about how the curriculum development goes, Dana. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Perfect. Thank you so much. 
There are so many relevant topics right now and we would love to hear from you. So please get in touch and subscribe to our podcast, Education Tips from the Experts with EDX Education, which is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, TuneIn and so many more channels. My name is Heather Welch from EDX Education. Let's all stay safe.